Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. There is a movement growing among health advocates to better understand how nutritious food can help combat chronic illnesses and pharmaceutical drug dependency. Guest host Ruth Ezel of the Nine Network recently sat down with Susan Benegas of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and the Plantrition Project and a local nutritionist, Gaida Awad of Nature's Clinic. They talked about why they advocate for a more plant-based diet, how they're raising more awareness about the link between nutrition and health, and how medical students can better incorporate understanding of food into their studies. Ruth began by asking Benegas and Awad how they got interested in using food as medicine. Here's Benegas. Well, for me, in my recent years, it started with founding the Plantrition Project in 2012. And Just prior to that, I had been president of a worksite health promotion company, and we were doing the status quo, what most worksite health promotion companies were doing. We would go in and do biometric screenings and health risk assessments when employees were found to have chronic conditions or multiple risk factors. We would always say, well, you need to see your primary care physician and get a script. And then you beat the drum of medication persistency. And After a while, I really took a step back and said, something is not right here because we have 70% of all Americans and 90% of all seniors taking prescription meds, many taking multiple prescription meds, and we spend more in this nation on pharmaceuticals than the rest of the world combined. And uh, I just thought, I just don't believe that God designed us all to become chronically ill and dependent on pharmaceuticals. And there were other things that I was beginning to question. And in November 2007, I was invited to a presentation by a local oncologist here in St. Louis, a breast cancer oncologist. And she opened up her talk, uh, talking about what poor health she had found herself in in her early 50s, a skin condition, arthritis. And she said she was surviving on caffeinated beverages and the treats that her patients brought. And uh, she said, but this book has changed my life and is going to change the lives of many of my patients. And it was the China study by T. Colin Campbell. And that was the catalyst for my paradigm shift because that book, hailed by the the Wall Street Journal and New York Times as the most in-depth study of the relationship between nutrition and human health ever done in the history of mankind, really connected the dots for me and, and sent me on this trajectory of needing to really focus on food as medicine, starting with transforming our healthcare system and really reaching physicians with the information that they have not learned in medical school, how to really identify and eradicate root causes of disease and focus heavily on food as medicine. So for our listeners who are not familiar with the China study, mm-hmm. T. Colin Campbell, um, he's a biochemist, if I recall correctly, and a nutritionist. And yes. so what he did was take several thousand Chinese from different parts of the country who never, who all, spent their whole lives in the same place, mm-hmm. eating the same kind of diet, and surveyed them over a period of years. And so what did he conclude? Yes, yes. It was uh, it was the the emperor of China who had been diagnosed with cancer, and it was uh, I mean truly from the top this nationwide throughout all of China. I mean, literally, it involved hundreds of thousands of people over many years. And they found that populations in certain areas uh, that there would be no incidence 
no incidence of chronic disease at all. No heart disease, no type 2 diabetes, uh, virtually no cancer. And that was really a, a study that, that shined such a bright light on different dietary patterns. And it was those populations that were consuming um, a whole food, plant-based dietary lifestyle that had the lowest incidence of chronic disease. So Gaia, I am wondering, now your background, you're a registered dietitian, but you're also a doctor of oriental medicine, and I'm wondering, which came first? The dietitian. <laughs> oh, okay. I, uh, as, a, as a child, I was diagnosed with pneumonia, and I was told that I would not live past the age of 12. Um, if I did live past 12, I would not be able to run or ride a bike or do any of the other activities other kids would do because my lungs would not handle it. Um, so my parents put me on all the prescription medication that there was available. I was on all the inhalers possible, but I was not getting any better until they moved me out of the country and I was in a different environment and I was eating differently. I improved without any medication whatsoever. So at a very young age, I realized that food was a big deal in, in our health. And as a child, I kept saying that when I grow up, I want to be a doctor of nutrition. I want to feed people healthy so that they never get sick. And later on, as years went on and I got closer to that goal, I realized that as a physician, training in nutrition is very little. So I was not able to, if I wanted to pursue and become a physician, I was not able to complete my dream in feeding people to health. So then I became a registered dietitian. But then I realized the problem with a registered dietitian is that everything is so one size fits all. Everything is so standard. And when it comes to health and nutrition, it's very individualized. And each person needs has different needs. Each person um, absorbs food differently or digests food differently. And that's how the doctorate came in natural and oriental medicine, um, a more personalized approach looking at Indian medicine, looking at Chinese medicine, and taking, taking all traditions and all ancient techniques that were used and bringing that in today's world, um, how each body is different, how each body is unique, how we digest food, because at the end, it's not what we eat. It's, it's you know, that saying we are, you are what you eat. It's not what you eat, it's what you digest. So whatever goes in your body and your body absorbs and takes in, that's how you use it and that's how be you become healthy. So essentially, it's sounding like because you couldn't study what you wanted to in medical school as far as food was concerned and how it affected the body, you went to become a registered dietitian instead, which brings us back to your project, Susan. And isn't that, is that your major goal to get food studies, so to speak, into medical schools? Well, that, that is probably the number one priority, not only into medical schools, but also to fill the gaping void that exists for the already practicing nearly one million physicians in this country and then the millions of allied health professionals, all of whom have had virtually no training in optimal dietary lifestyle and lifestyle medicine. And, uh, you know, to your point, the average physician today, when interviewed, surveyed, will say that they received no more than three hours 
that would be 60 minutes times three <laughs> in medical school on using on the power of food and clinical nutrition. And so we really do have to uh, work fervently to fill that void. And that is, as the executive director of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which is the nation's medical professional association for physicians and allied health professionals who are truly passionate about identifying and eradicating the cause of disease, that is, that's our number one objective. It is to develop and make available evidence-based, CME-accredited curriculum to fill that void. And so we're focused on CME for already existing providers, as well as developing right now a residency curriculum focused on medical education and even pre-professional education. So we have an abundant array of resources uh, and are starting to you know, really make an impact. Our organization has grown over 500% in the last five years. And I think in the face of epidemic levels of physician burnout, for example, Lifestyle medicine is what really reignites the passion for why they went into practice to begin with, and that was to become true healers. And that's what lifestyle medicine, food as medicine, enables them to do, to truly work with their patients to restore their health, not simply to just diagnose symptoms and treat those symptoms with ever-increasing quantities of pills and procedures. Is that pretty much the way that both of you would describe the state of healthcare? in our country right now. How would you describe it? Yes, I mean, I, I think the, the China study for me, even back in the fall of 2007, not only did it connect the dots between our food choices and our optimal health or lack thereof, but it really connected the dots about the fact that we don't really have a health care system in this country. We very much have a disease and disability mm -hmm. care system. And uh, now, thank goodness for modern medicine, traditional medicine, it, it has its place. Uh, but with an allopathic-only approach that's focused on disease management and not truly educating, equipping, and empowering patients to take control of their health uh, is really, it, it's our current system, it's, it's a disservice to the providers and to the patients. And that's why there is this amazing movement underway to truly systemically uh, transform the system. I mean, it's complicated, but there are major, major steps and initiatives that are, that are underway uh, at all levels, from advocacy work in D.C. to filling education voids uh, to establishing lifestyle medicine interest groups on medical school campuses. It's, uh, it's exciting to see what's happening. Gaida, could you describe for me, do you have a so-called average patient? What, when they come to see you, are there common ailments that they are concerned about? Absolutely. Um, so when they come to see me, they I am unfortunately their last hope. They have seen every medical doctor. Um, they have taken every prescription medicine there is to help them with their symptoms, again, because it is symptom-based. And when they see me, they say, you know, you are my last hope, and I am hoping that you can do something about it. And the first thing I let them know that it's not symptom-based. I don't want to hear about your symptoms. I mean, everybody has these symptoms, and all of these symptoms can be alike, but the root cause, what's causing these symptoms, is different from person to person. 
And when you were treating the symptoms, you missed that root cause. You missed that underlying organ dysfunction. Um, so when they come to see me, I look at what organs are weak. Why is the body acting this way because the body has an amazing ability to heal itself. If you give it the correct food, if you give it the right nutrition, the right environment, the body does amazing things and and it heals. Unfortunately, with today's world, we are missing a lot of nutrition. Our food is not as nutritious as it was. So nutrition is is a big missing factor in people's health. Um, When they come in, we look at underlying organs. We look at what the problem is, which organ is causing the issues and causing these symptoms. And most most commonly, it is an, a nutrition deficiency, a nutrient deficiency in that organ. And once you give that organ the nutrients it needs or the foods that it needs, then the body starts healing and going back to its that homeostasis that it likes, that normal state. For those of you who are just joining us, we're talking to Susan Benegas, Executive Director of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and founder of the Plantrition Project, and Dr. Gaida Awad, who's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and owner of Nature's Clinic in O'Fallon, Missouri. So the Plantrition Project, Susan... What kind of reception have you been getting? Yeah. Well, the Plantrition Project is a Missouri not-for-profit, 501c3. Uh, It it was founded in 2012, and then in 2013, really the centerpiece of the project was founded, which is the International Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference. And it is a CME-accredited medical education live uh, event. Oh, CME, if you could... uh, Yeah, Continuing Medical Education. Ah, okay. Yes. Uh, So the target audience for that particular conference conference are medical professionals, physicians. And so in uh, 2013, there were 220 physicians who attended representing six countries. And then this past year, the sixth annual conference took place and had over a thousand medical professionals, the vast majority of whom were physicians representing over 24 countries. So you know, we're seeing incredible growth. And the Plantrition Project's mission when founded was to develop educational events, tools, and resources for medical professionals, physicians, and clinicians, and those they serve about evidence-based use of whole food plant-based nutrition to treat, reverse, and prevent disease. And uh, so many resources have been developed, including a searchable online directory called plantbaseddocs.com, where individuals who are looking for uh, medical professionals that will have a food as medicine first approach can go to to find uh, providers in their area. So we have the plant-based nutrition quick start guides for adults and children and Rx pads that uh, physicians use in their offices, uh, new uh, different types of media and resources coming out. Uh, We partner with Ruby Cooking School uh, to produce Culinary RX, which is an online plant-based cooking school for patients. So uh, an abundant of resources. So the Plantrition Project focuses specifically on the food is medicine piece, whereas the American College of Lifestyle Medicine as the Medical Professional Association represents all pillars of lifestyle medicine. As our former uh, president, David Katz, would say, it focuses on Feet, forks, fingers, sleep, stress, love. And uh, because all of those uh, different lifestyle behaviors that we have on a daily basis do contribute to our health and really empower us in a way to, to a very large extent, 
protect our health, prevent disease, and even fight and reverse already existing disease. Gaida, you were talking about the ancient wisdom from, from ancient cultures. Does your personal diet include diets and food from ancient cultures? Absolutely. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Mediterranean family. And I grew up with a Mediterranean diet, and research has shown that it is one of the best diets available. Um, but as you go through life and you realize that food is a major part of, of your health, um, I incorporate so many ancient and um, so many Eastern, I'm going to call it, um, foods into my diet as well as my children's diet. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and they are amazing, sophisticated eaters at such a young age. Um, we go to restaurants, and you know, the people hand out kids' menus to them, and my daughter will look at me, and she'll say, no, I want salmon and goat cheese or and a little bit of dill sprinkled on it. I don't want chicken nuggets. <laughs> So it's 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 the way you are raised. You are raised and you raise children onto this and it becomes a lifestyle and it becomes something that you do without thinking that this is different or this is something that um, it's not in my tradition. It becomes part of your life and once you notice how good of effect it has on your body and, and how well you feel after eating such diverse food, it becomes it becomes automatic. Speaking of children, there are unfortunately children in urban areas who don't even know what a vegetable is. Mm -hmm. They live in food deserts. That's true. What can, in your respective fields, how can you bring your influence to bear on making good food just more accessible mm -hmm. and, and information about nutrition more accessible. There was a program you were talking about that the city was doing uh, years ago, Susan. Right, right. Get Hooked on Health St. Louis uh, was something that I was instrumental in, uh, in producing back in, gosh, 2005. Well, Ruth, I mean, you bring up a great point. And, you know, when we think about the standard American diet, on average, the standard American diet consists of 63% packaged processed foods, which uh, food journalist Michael Pollan refers to as edible food-like substances. So that's 63% of what people are ingesting. And then 25% animal protein and dairy. And when you think about our animal protein today, it is far different than it was 50 years ago, and we're consuming way too much of it. And then about 12% of the standard American diet are fruits and vegetables, of which 6% are French fries, and ketchup is even included as a vegetable. <laughs> and so we wonder why we spend $2 billion a year in this country on laxatives. It's because we are overfed, undernourished, fiber deficient, nutrient uh, devoid and, uh, you know, disease-laden. High inflammatory. Yeah. I mean, and, and kids, they used to call type 2 diabetes adult onset. It can no longer be called adult onset because too many children now are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Uh, Fifty years ago, we had 2 million people in the United States with type 2 diabetes. Today, as many as 160 million who are pre-diabetic or have already been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, and yet, it is a foodborne illness that is preventable, treatable, and often reversible. And uh, so I think that oftentimes uh, there, there is a bit of a um, 
misnomer, I think, in that eating healthfully is expensive because it really doesn't have to be. We often say, you know, beans and greens, this is not expensive. It's just that the lack of food literacy, as you say, I mean, so many kids today, you'd show them a head of cauliflower or broccoli, they won't have any idea what that is. And, and yet, we have got to shift to uh, a, a diet that is heavily focused on the foods that are fiber-filled, nutrient-dense, antioxidant-rich. And those are the foods, the only foods that have fiber are those that grow from the ground. It's those foods that grow from the ground and as close to nature's package as possible. So it is the ancient grains. It's those, it's the grains that are truly, if, if you cook a grain in 30 seconds, that is not a whole grain. So it, it's really, uh, we do have to educate the public. We've got to educate medical professionals because they're too often looked to as the gatekeepers of dietary recommendations. And uh, so definitely there needs to be campaigns that reach the general public as well as uh, medical professionals. Have you had many diabetics come into your practice, Guida? I have had many children with being recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, I'm not seeing it as much as adults, unfortunately. Um, I am seeing it mostly in 11 and 12-year-olds that Mm. their primary care physician referred them to a dietician to handle their diabetes and their... um, but instead of putting them, they did not want to put them on insulin. So, I mean, I will oh. give them credit for that. But primary yeah. care physicians do not know how to handle lifestyle. They don't know how to handle diet and nutrition. So, so they send them over to nutritionists and dietitians. And they say, here, you know, here's an 11-year-old that's been eating hamburgers and hot dogs and French fries for 11 or 12 years. And they are on this inflammatory diet. How are you going to change this overnight? So unfortunately, I do see that rise. Um, and the first thing I, I mandate all my patients to do is write a food log. Before they come in to see me, I need to see what they're eating on a daily basis. Because I can give them all of the supplements. I can give them all of the advice that I have. But if they are not eating right to begin with, they are not going to get better. So before they walk into my exam room, I need to see that food log. And we go from there. What are you eating? How do we need to change this? What can we incorporate to make you feel better? You mentioned supplements. So what role does that play in, in the grand scheme for, for your patients? So because, because our food is not as nutritious as it was years ago, I deal with a company called Standard Process. They have been in business for 90 years, and they have the highest quality supplements based on whole food. So it is just whole food in capsules with no additives, no preservatives, no chemicals whatsoever in these pills and supplements. So whatever the body is getting in terms from those supplements is just purely food and nutrition, what the body needs and is missing. A big part of my practice is putting my patients on supplements because If somebody comes deficient in a specific vitamin, and let's say vitamin A, because I'm seeing the Plantation Project on AC Carrots, the first thing that comes to mind, vitamin A. So let's say somebody's deficient in vitamin A, and they sit down and they want to eat carrots. The amount of carrots that they would need to eat for them to, to be sufficient 
would have them sitting and eating for, for days to come. But with that supplement, because it is so compact, because it is so, uh, what's the word? Dense. dense. Yeah. Thank you. Nutrient <laughs> dense. They are getting their nutrients and what they need in one or two capsules. So most of my practice, yes, I am giving supplements, but it's nutrition. And I'm telling people, this is just like eating a meal. It doesn't interfere with your daily life. It doesn't interfere with any prescription medications you are on because this is just like sitting down and eating a meal. But because our food is so void of these nutrients, sometimes we have to seek them elsewhere. So where can people find a lifestyle doctor? Where can they find them, Susan? There is not a week that goes by, Ruth, that I don't get several email from people all over the country and even outside of the country looking for lifestyle medicine physicians who uh, or other practitioners that, that really have educated themselves in the power of using food as medicine and other lifestyle interventions. And so I always direct them to the member directory at lifestylemedicine.org and to plantbaseddocs.com. Those are two great searchable directories that, uh, that over the next uh, months and years will build into even more robust directories as more and more physicians really become passionate about a lifestyle medicine first approach to healthcare. We have to wrap this up pretty quickly, but I do need to ask you, a lot of people who come for these kind of services, they're not covered by insurance. Um, is your is the American College doing anything about that? Oh, absolutely. We have very active advocacy efforts in Washington, D.C. And, and quite frankly, it, it really is more about... Uh, filling the education void. Because if the providers, if the physicians and registered dietitians and nurse practitioners and all the members of the interdisciplinary practice team have been educated in uh, in lifestyle medicine, evidence-based lifestyle medicine, then they just integrate it into their already existing practices. And many of our physicians are now using shared medical appointments that have been extremely effective. So there is reimbursement. Is more needed? Absolutely. But it's filling that, that education void for our medical professionals that is right at the tip of the spear. Gaida, one last question for you. Even though there isn't a one-size-fits-all, is there a good starting point for people who want to improve their diet? Absolutely. Um, just that mindset that I want to be better, I want to be healthier, is a great start. Anybody can get, anybody can get on a path to better health. Um, with insurance not being accepted, my, my, I tell my patients that although I do not accept insurance, I am giving it to you. So once you are eating healthier, once you are living a healthier lifestyle, that is my insurance to you that you will live healthier and be healthier. Gaida Awad, Susan Benegas, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ruth. That was guest host Ruth Ezell of the Nine Network talking with Susan Benegas of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and the Plantrition Project and local nutritionist Gaida Awad of Nature's Clinic based in O'Fallon, Missouri. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.